Shalom Mishpocha. Shalom, family. Mishpochah's a Hebrew word means family, and we're the Mishpochah, the family with a Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people, where the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, it's finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, Mishpochah, to blow the grandest shofar, or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red-hot for the Messiah. Now, I normally say that the Jewish man that God himself has had cross your path is not an accident. God wants you to demonstrate his kingdom through signs and wonders and love him to the Messiah. And I urge you to get a copy of my book, They Thought for Themselves, birthed by the Spirit of God, directed by God himself, to reach unsaved Jewish people with the gospel. But now I'm going to change my line a little bit. In addition to the Jewish person that God has crossed your path, I say that God has had a Muslim person cross your path, that he wants you to demonstrate the kingdom of God through signs and wonders and lead that Muslim person to the Lord. And I have on the telephone a former uh, Muslim, which was his total way of life. He was born in Pakistan, and he has come out with a book called Ten Amazing Muslims Touched by God. And I have to tell you, uh, Faisal Malik, I am overwhelmed with what your people go through Uh, to come to the Lord. I mean, uh, in Judaism, it's tough for a Jewish person to to, uh, become a believer in Jesus. We lose our family, etc. But we certainly aren't buried alive or murdered or maimed or beheaded. Uh, I I mean, it's bad, but nothing compared to what happens to Muslims. Uh, Why, just out of curiosity, why is there such hatred to uh, their own family members when they receive Jesus? No, sir, the reason is because for a Muslim to, to turn their back on Islam is apostasy. And it says in the Quran that they should be killed. And so that's why families get so upset when we come to know who Jesus is and often go through these type of hardships. Uh, but what's amazing is that the revelation that we experience of Jesus when we encounter him Uh, exceeds the fear of what might happen to us for following him. Well, why is it that within Islam, uh, well, within Judaism, within Hinduism, within Islam, it's very difficult for someone to be open-minded. But it appears to me, and you know better than me, that per, per capita, so many Muslims are having dreams and visitations of Jesus. Um, why Muslims? Why is this happening to Muslims right now? You know, Sid, this is the same question I asked the Lord many years ago, and he said, many Muslims are going to come to know him in this season. And I said, God, how is this going to happen? And one of the things he said, I'm going to do it through dreams and visions, that they'll see a man clothed in white with holes in his hands, and he will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you see, Muslims believe that since Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, died, the only way God can speak to them is through a dream or a vision. 
So literally, they're open to dreams and visions. I remember growing up, and as a family, we would talk about our dreams, uh, wondering what is God trying to tell, tell us. And so it's an open door, really, that God is using to reach the Muslim world. It's, number one, their time, but it's also a way that God can communicate, a language that he can use. And so Muslims are always open to dreams and visions. And I've even found in conversations with Muslims, if you ask them if they feel they've had any dream from God or vision, and 90% of the time they would have had something, and they'll share it with you. So, so this is an avenue that I find God is using and that Muslims are very open to. He's literally writing the truth in their hearts and putting it in their minds. And dreams and visions is one of those ways to do that. Uh, you know, I just read the most amazing news report uh, from uh, Egypt of a Muslim man that killed his wife because she was just reading the Bible. That's all she was doing. Then they buried her with her infant baby and eight-year-old daughter. Uh, literally, the girls were buried alive. Uh, tell me quickly what happened. Yes, uh, I met with a missionary from Egypt, said, and he told me this story firsthand, where a man killed his wife in Egypt, and the two daughters uh, were buried alive with her. One was eight years old, and the other one was a nursing baby. And 15 days later, another family member died, and he came back to bury that family member and found the daughter and the nursing baby alive. And so uh, the elder daughter, eight years old, was, uh, was sent to a new station uh, with an Egyptian woman as an anchor. And in interviewing her, she asked her, how did you stay alive? And she said, a man clothed in white with holes in his hand came every morning, woke up my mother to feed my baby sister, and he ate with us for these days. And uh, the woman immediately said, that sounds like Jesus. And if he has holes in his hands, maybe he did die on the cross. And then immediately the news feed uh, was cut off the television. So that's a powerful story of, of the resurrection of Jesus. But, but the thing that's so amazing to me, Fazl, is there are so many of these stories going on right now. Something amazing. It, it, it's almost as if there is a window of God's mercy on Muslims at this moment in history, because perhaps of what God knows is coming shortly in the future. Absolutely, So This is the time where God is reaching out to the Muslim world, and I agree with you. It's a Kairos time, a window of opportunity. Okay. You were born in Pakistan, and Islam was your life. What do you mean by that? Well, I grew up wanting to serve Allah, uh, wanting to serve and honor Muhammad, the prophet of Islam. I remember, for example, after school, I, I would go to this special place, and we would study the Quran every day for three hours and just recite the Quran, study the Quran, the goal was to, to be a person that is faithful to Allah, that lives for Him, that's willing to die for Him, and, and willing to spread Islam all over the world. That was the mindset in which uh, I grew up, wanting to honor Allah. And what was your view towards Jews and Israel? Well, the Jewish people, we were taught that they were like dogs. That's what the Quran said about them, that they were very stubborn people, and our view towards them was negative. Uh, we thought they were the people that refused God and all the prophets that were sent to them. And, uh, and we, as Muslims, were the people that had the responsibility of carrying out God's will on earth. And even the Christians themselves had, were deceived and that they were uh, spoken to by prophets as well, but they changed their scriptures, they changed the Bible. That was kind of our mindset about Jews and, and also about Christians. Now, you had a passion <laughs> and it's an amazing passion. Uh, it was a misguided passion, 
but you literally wanted to teach Jews and Christians about Islam. Uh, you found yourself involved. Uh, uh, you came to uh, Canada, I believe, and you found yourself involved in multi-level marketing, uh, and you found out there was a church service uh, uh, at the multi-level marketing group, but if you went there to the church service, you'd be in the front row for when they had the lecture of, of the top people to teach you how to make millions of dollars. Uh, so you found yourself uh, at this Christian meeting, uh, he, and the man says, come forward if you want to receive the Messiah, and you went forward. Why? Well, first, I, I, was, I didn't know he was calling us to receive the Messiah. I thought it was my opportunity to debate the man because he really offended me because he said, Jesus is the Son of God. And as a Muslim, that made me angry. And then when he began to give this invitation, I kind of ran to the front. In fact, I was one of the first people there. But before I could confront him, literally three, 4,000 people tried to fill that front area, and I got stuck to that stage area, and I really couldn't do anything. I couldn't leave, but I, I, I remember him looking at the audience and saying, will you pray this prayer with me? And he asked them to pray that Jesus is the Son of God. And I remember saying, no, I can't say that. I'm a Muslim. And I prayed my Kalma, which is the statement of faith that Muslims have, and, and that's kind of my first experience uh, being at a meeting where someone was talking about Jesus. Okay, so you went to a second meeting. The same thing uh, takes place. And all of a sudden, it dawns on you, I can do what these Christians are doing. I can use my multi, multi-level marketing program to cause people to be believers in Islam. I mean, you must have been pretty excited about that revelation. I was, because I was taught if, if people are successful doing what they're doing, learn from them, and so you will be also. And so I knew these people were getting results, and that's exactly what I began to do, Sid, is having more debates and arguments with these Christians, with these Jews, trying to help them understand how the Bible has been changed, the Torah has been changed, and how they need to follow Islam and become Muslims. And so I went back to another convention, and again they gave me a front row seat, and I knew this time what the drill was, so to speak. I knew what they were going to be doing, I thought. And towards the end, uh, when this man began to talk about Jesus again, and how that if you believe upon him, he'll give you the right and power to become sons of God, he asked everybody in the auditorium to stand. So 20,000 of us, we, we stood up, and he began to give this invitation again, and I thought I don't need to respond. And while he was doing that, suddenly the living God showed up. And said, literally, his presence went right through me, went right around me. I remember being alone with God. I had all these thoughts running through my mind as to why is God here? Why would he manifest himself amongst such people that are blaspheming him by worshiping Jesus? And in the midst of all that, I asked God one question, and I said, God, what are you doing here? I thought, these are the bad guys. And I heard an audible voice, and he said, no, these are my children. No, these are my children. He said that three times. And when he said that, I immediately knew that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, all my Muslim experience, everything I had known about Islam was fading away in this encounter. And I realized that Jesus is the Son of God. It was the only thing I knew in my life at that time. And I remember walking forward and saying, Jesus, come into my heart. Take away my stony heart. Give me a new heart that I can love the Father like you. And I said, I believe in my heart that you died on the cross, you shed your blood for me, that you were born of a virgin, and you rose again from the dead. And that's how my whole life changed, and that was July 3rd, 1994, Sunday. Okay, 
hold that thought because then Fasol had an encounter with the Spirit of God, and wherever he went, Muslims would start weeping and receive Jesus. Uh, as a matter of fact, 99% of the people, Muslims, non-believers of all kind, came to the Lord after he had that visitation. Uh, in fact, some 1,500 came to the Lord, but we'll talk about that tomorrow. However, I need you to write me today. We put together two teaching CDs called East Meets West, in which these former Muslims have had such encounters with the Spirit of God, it's going to bounce on you, rub off on you, and you're going to become normal. You're going to be moving in these signs and wonders. They understand in the East the invisible world like few people do, and they want to teach you how. In addition to these two CDs, we have this book, Ten Amazing Muslims Touched by God. You want to read it yourself? It'll make you understand what a normal Christian is and then give it to the Muslim person that God has crossed your path. Both available, the two CDs and the book, for a gift of $40. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. My guest, Fazl Malik, is red hot for the Messiah. Uh, he thought that he was coming to the United States to teach Christians and teach Jews the true faith, Islam. Uh, and he was at a multi-level marketing meeting, uh, and he's getting furious with the statements that are being made. Uh, he went to several of them because they were being uh, he was being proselytized into Christianity, and all of a sudden. He heard of the voice of God. And what did God say to you, Fasil? He said, no, these are my children. He revealed to me that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's why I came to realization. But then on February 24th, 1995, uh, you were going through a lot of persecution. Your family found out that, uh, that you were a believer in Jesus. They got you evicted from where you were living. You were literally living in your car. Uh, but on February 24th, 95, what happened? I, by then, I had moved out of my car into this little place, a basement of a basement, literally. I remember early at 7.30 in the morning, there was a knock on my door, and my neighbor wanted me to come help start their car. It was an extremely cold morning. And so I got up, and I, I just said, Father, would you help start his car because it's very cold? And he came running back in, and he said, it's okay, my car started. And that's when I looked at the clock, and I knew it was exactly 7.30. And at that very moment, the tangible reality of the Holy Spirit came into that place. And I did not know that the Spirit of God normally would ever do this or could do this. I had no understanding. But literally, God's presence came in stronger and stronger and stronger. And it felt like a a river, like a mighty ocean or a river just flowing through me. I felt these waves, and they went through my being. I remember laying on the floor, and this tangible river kept flowing through me for three hours. And I heard an audible voice again, and this time it was the voice of the Father. And he said, I love you, son. I love you, son. And he said it a third time, I love you, son. Now, I never heard those words growing up as a Muslim. But hearing these words and then experiencing this love was so powerful, I really have no way to describe it. 
except what really took place as a result. I got up after those three hours, and I noticed that I had a tremendous hunger and a love for the Father, a desire to know Him, and I felt this love for Him. And number two, I had a love for people more than I had up till that time. And the third thing I noticed was I had a love for the Word of God. And for 36 hours, I picked up the Bible and I began to read it supernaturally. I didn't eat anything. Uh, I just read the Word of God. I literally began to live on God's Word. And it was like an entire passage at a time would just jump off the page, go into my heart, and explode with life. And that's the only way I can explain to you what it was like. And I began to understand the Word of God. I began to know what God was saying. And, and, and this revelation began to come into my spirit. And I began to have a communion with God, a relationship with God. And this took place for 36 hours and read the whole Bible supernaturally and said, I was a changed man. Well, well, let me ask you this. Uh, you, you witnessed approximately 1,500 people. You must have been witnessing morning, noon, and night. But you weren't just witnessing from the brain. There was something, that same presence of God that came on you was jumping on them. Tell me about that. You know, so that's exactly how it was. Uh, the way I say it, it was kind of like this river would ooze out of me of love, and it would touch these other people. And they would meet with me to ask questions, and during some point of their questions, the presence of God would tenderly interrupt our conversation, and, and literally that person would begin to weep, and they would open up and then ask sincere questions from their heart. They weren't challenging me anymore. And then the final question, which was always my favorite question, they would say, how do I know this Jesus? And then I would take him to my car. We used to call my car the Save Mobile. <laughs> and we'd take him to the car, pray with them, and they would receive Jesus. And I saw this happen over and so over. I pick one actual Muslim that, uh, and describe what happened to him. Well, here's one. Uh, a Muslim f- a fellow came to this restaurant called Perkins, where I meet with these new believers. And he heard me talking about Jesus. And as usual, in this case, he got mad and he left. Then he met with me again for lunch on the, on the Monday. And so I had lunch with him, talked to him about Jesus, and then when he went home, came back that night again to one of these meetings, and he said he wanted to give his life to Jesus. And I said to him, why? Why do you want to do this now? I've, I've known you for two years, and why? what has changed tonight? He said, well, for two years, every time I come around you, this presence comes on me. And today when we had lunch, this presence came on me and followed me home and will not leave me until I surrender my life to Jesus. And so I prayed with him, and he gave his heart to Jesus. And I didn't even know this, Sid. I didn't know this was happening for two years. But that's how easy it is. God's presence will follow people home. Uh, You know what I believe? I believe that you are a forerunner of what God is shortly going to do to normal Christians throughout the world. Can you picture someone with that type of presence of God going to school, and what would happen to the other students going to work and what would happen to the other employees uh, in their own family? Uh, that's what I believe is about ready to happen because we have this window of opportunity. I mean, you led 99% of the people you witnessed to to the Lord, uh, and that was something like 1,500 people. I believe that's normal. Now, very briefly, uh, you went back to Pakistan uh, because your parents had heard that you were a believer in Jesus and you wanted to straighten things out with him, although you knew it could be very risky. Uh, He had a Bible with you. uh, And all of a sudden you were aware witchcraft was going on against you. Tell me what happened. Well, I I, I had a word of knowledge. I I, I had the supernatural knowledge that witchcraft was being done against me. 
And so I, I went into my bedroom to lie down, and suddenly the presence of God came in, and it was really the glory of God, the weightiness of God's presence in glory. And I remember the way I was lying down, I wasn't facing the door of the room, but once the glory of God came on me, I could see through the walls, uh, I could see uh, family members walking down, I could hear their voice, and I remember in this glory that no evil spirit could touch me, but I was aware and conscious of God's presence, and I knew to be still. I had learned by then that when God comes, don't do anything. Just remain still in His presence. There's nothing you can do to, to make it any better. And so for three hours, this presence stayed on me. And once I came out of the glory, I went and picked up the phone, and I called this witch doctor because I needed to ask permission for her son to come and spend some time with me because the son wanted to. And so uh, he picked me up. He answered. Now, now, how did you know who the witch doctor was? Well, that same day when I told my family that witchcraft was being done on me, the son showed up with a business card uh, sharing where the mother, who's one of the witch doctors, had been to see another witch doctor in the city, a famous witch doctor. And so that was the natural evidence to my family that what I had previously shared with them was actually true. So that's how it all kind of came together. Okay, you went to see this witch. What happened? So we, we walked. He took me there, and she didn't know I was coming. And the minute he knocked on the door, she began to shake and turn pale, literally began to back up. And the presence of God began to go into her entire apartment. And I remember walking in there, and I perceived evil spirits leaving, but I believe she could actually see them because she was looking in the direction where I perceived they were leaving. And she saw these evil spirits literally leaving the room because that glory and presence began to enter in. Now, now I, I happen to believe that these witch doctors have a great deal of supernatural power. Weren't you afraid? No, I was not, uh, Sid, because first of all, when you're in the glory, you're not going to be afraid. And secondly, I knew the power of the blood of Jesus, that because of Jesus' shed blood, they could not touch me. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So I was absolutely not afraid. Uh, his presence was so strong and, and preceded me, so there's no reason to be afraid. Uh, so what did she say when, when all this was going on and she realized her powers were not working on you? Well, she said, she says, what do you do? Because she's trying to figure out what I must do to gain this type of power. And I said, I don't do anything. I just know God personally. That's what I said to her. And then she said, I need you to come back one more time because she wanted another opportunity to perform more witchcraft and see if she could win this time. You know, they're going to have to just read the book to get all this information. But, uh, Fazil, this brand new book, it's literally just off the printing press. Ten Amazing Muslims Touched by God. Uh, and you write commentaries at the end of each person. Tell me about one person in that book. Well, Kamal, for example, is one of the stories in the book, and he represents a certain demographic of Muslims, the, the people that have a terrorist mindset or are terrorists themselves. Now, he, uh, from the age of seven, became a terrorist. He joined the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, and the Muslim Brotherhood. And from the age of seven, he started learning how to shoot. And he started to smuggle uh, explosives into the Golan Heights in Israel through Syria. And this became his life, and he became excited about it, because his, his parents raised him with a hatred for Jews and a hatred for America. And as a young boy, he had this hatred, and he dreamed all his life to make Allah proud by slaying Jews and slaying Christians. This is the mindset with which he was raised. And, and as you read the beginning of his story, it makes you angry. It makes you upset. But as we read on, we begin to see his heart. 
And so he's in the process of learning how to kill, and he goes up, and then he travels with Yasser Arafat, and he experiences these world trips. And on uh, he went to kill Jews on the Golan Height. Uh, I mean, I I can't believe it. Uh, at 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 a young age, seven years of age, they give him an AK forty seven to to learn how to shoot. That's right, Sid. And not only that, Kamal later became the trainer of other young children. So he would then take new recruits on their first mission uh, of smuggling explosives into the Golan Heights or killing missions, and he would try to teach those young kids to do the same. This is the way he was raised. I mean, can you imagine what kind of mindset he's being raised with? Uh, today, what is he like? Today, he's a completely changed man. Uh, he experienced an accident in his life when he came to America, and he was in the hospital, and some doctors that were Christians began to love on him, paid his bills, brought him to their house, let him hang around his children, their children, and Kamal began to see the love of Christians, and he thought, this can't be the same kind of people I'm supposed to kill. They're very nice, they're very loving, and they have a faith in God. Their children are praying for me. But So this kind of made him desire to know Allah. He said, I need to know God. I need to know Him like these people know their God. And so in his frustration, he couldn't find any answers. He cried out to Allah, and he heard no response. So one day he picked up his guns, because he still had them, and he was getting ready to kill himself. But then he heard a voice that said, the Muslims pray to the God of Abraham, and the Jews do, and so do the Christians. Why don't you call on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And so he thought, well, of course, Muslims do believe in the God of Abraham. And so he said, oh, God of Abraham, if you're real, would you tell me the truth? Uh-uh. <laughs> we ran out of time. Fazl Malik, we found out on yesterday's broadcast, uh, uh, some of the people that are in the book, your story is in the book. Uh, then uh, Camille, uh, who was a, a, a member of uh, a very militant group from age seven, uh, he was taught how to use an AK-47, and his job uh, was to kill Jews on the Golan Heights and train young people to kill Jews, uh, and they had a strategy strategy for the West involving women. Tell me about that. Part of, part of his strategy was to commit, they call it, cultural jihad. So he came to America and he wanted to infiltrate the culture. And part of that was uh, women, because they were told that women are very easy in America, that you get to know them, you build a relationship with them, hopefully you can marry them, you can obtain uh, United States citizenship, you can get to know their family members, and then through those families you could spread Islam as well. And this is part of, of what they teach and train people uh, to do in America, to get an education, to meet women and marry them, and, and to then create the culture of Islam and bring it to America and influence the, the way of life in America so that eventually one day they, they hope to make America either a Muslim nation or, or, or destroy it. There's so many fascinating stories in this book. I mean, you won't be able to put it down. Tell me about Samil. Samil was also a fundamentalist, but he was like a Shiite Muslim. And he was part of two fanatical Islamic groups, kind of like cults, and they all actually believed in kind of the supernatural. And so he was trying to, to write encyclopedias about Islam. He was translating books and trying to translate to get the message of Islam out. And he got frustrated because he spent his whole life trying to do this. Meanwhile, his wife uh, had already seen a vision of Jesus but hadn't told him about it. And so one day, in the midst of his frustration, he just threw all his Islamic books on the floor and he cries out to God, and he says, God, I want to know the truth. And in the midst of this, this powerful light came into the room, 
and the presence of God began to come into the room, and literally it shook him. He was so shaken by the presence of God. It was so powerful. He said it was like lightning, electricity coming in the room. And so uh, God asked him, he was Jesus, and he said, what are you looking for, Samuel? And Samuel said, the truth. And then Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the minute he said that, his heart began to surrender, and he realized that Jesus is who he says he is. And then Jesus told Samuel of the prayers that his wife had been praying. And she was in the other room hearing what was going on, and then she also came into the same vision, and they both saw Jesus at the same time. It's absolutely amazing how the mercy of God reached out to them, Sid. Uh, this, this is the kind of stuff we're hearing about, and these are the type of stories in the book. And, and you know what's so amazing to me? Here is a man uh, that is as radical as you can get, as that big a terrorist as you can get. Uh, he didn't just dislike Jews and Christians. He wanted to either have them believe, become believers in Islam or kill them. Uh, I mean, he, he had a furious hatred, I mean, equivalent to an Adolf Hitler. But... What does he feel about Jews and Christians today? He has a love for them. In fact, uh, he, 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 he went to Bible school later on, and he had to move out of his city because the people tried to come and actually kill him for becoming a Christian. But he's alive today, and he was able to move out of his city. But he has a love for, for, G, for Christians, a love for Jewish people. I mean, Jesus is love. If you're going to know him, you're going to begin to love people. And I think his stories also challenge us as believers to, to love others. Because that's what Jesus said, love your enemies. And that's what we're seeing from these people. As they encounter Jesus, they're beginning to love the people that they previously thought were their enemies. Uh, but what another thing I see is they move in such extraordinary signs uh, and wonders. Uh, I mean, I've been talking to some of these people on the telephone. They move in all the gifts of the Spirit. They move in miracles. Uh, for instance, uh, I, I accidentally bumped into one of the guests in the book. Uh, his name is Corey from Turkey. Um, and uh, Corey... Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the presence of God was, I mean, I, I was in a Starbucks coffee with him, and I was overpowered by the presence of God. Why is it these former Muslims are, are so filled with God's glory? Well, you can't encounter Jesus and not experience the glory of God. That's one of the things about this, that when we truly experience him with the core of our heart, we're going to change. And that's what we're finding in these stories. Many times, many a nights, writing the stories, just like you said, sitting with Corey. I'd be writing or editing the story and writing the commentary. I'd be weeping in God's presence and glory all night long because of the weight of God's presence. Literally, these stories are imparted to us. The presence of these stories are imparted to us. And I think that's what's very important. Jesus said that the, the Bible says the testimony of Jesus is as the spirit of prophecy, meaning that when we hear what Jesus has done for them, it becomes prophecy for our future. We encounter that same presence. We encounter that same power. But it should, this is the normal way to do it. This is the normal way. If you encounter Jesus, you're going to encounter his presence, his miracles, his touch. This is what Christianity is always meant to be. And sometimes we've, we've forgotten about that, and we've made it a form uh, you know, or a system rather than an encounter and a relationship with Jesus. That's what the early church had. That's what the apostles and disciples had. They had been with Jesus. And that's what happens. When you're with Jesus, Jesus will shine through your life. 
Yeah, Corey had said to me, I'm reminded now, this was several years ago, uh, and I just accidentally bumped into him having a cup of coffee, uh, and he said the fire of God came on him, and it was so strong that when I met with him, I could feel the fire of God being radiating all, 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 all from him throughout that whole coffee house. <laughs> Isn't that lovely, Sid? And that's what happened to him. His God sent him back to Turkey. He was in America at the time, and he experienced this fire come on him, and God's heart for the people of Turkey. He saw them drowning, and they would one day perish if he did not go preach to them. And he obeyed God, and he moved, and everywhere he goes, this fire falls, and miracles happen. Tumors get healed. He experiences the power of God reach out to these people, and it's absolutely amazing what Jesus is doing in Corey's life. Oh, how about the testimony of, uh, and I've gotten to know him, he's, he's become a good friend, Keith Tayam. Tell me about him. You know, Akif, his story is, is, is fabulous, Sid, because he was hungry. One of the things about him, he was a sincere man that was hungry, but he was still a Muslim, and he was opposed to everything that Christians believe, and he was living in the United States. And uh, a Christian girl told him, you know, about miracles all the time, and she would keep hounding him that God does miracles. And, and Akif would try to argue with her, and one day this evangelist was coming to town, and so she said, come with me and you'll see miracles. So he said, I'll go there to prove you wrong, that this is all fake, it's not real, I'm going to show you that it's wrong. So he went to this evangelistic meeting, and this man got up, and he invited somebody over that had a withered uh, limb. And he saw it with his own eyes, the man prayed for him in the name of Jesus, and this withered limb began to grow right before Akif's eyes. And right there, Akif fell to his knees and began to weep uncontrollably. It's like he saw this miracle, and something in him was so shaken, he was so touched. And, and, you know, in all honesty, he said he didn't even understand what happened to him. And so this, you know, sent him on a search, seeking more of God, wanting to understand how this miracle took place. He knew it was Jesus, but he didn't understand why, because the way he was raised, that, you know, Muslims don't experience miracles. But here's Jesus doing these miracles. Was it really Jesus? If so, how was that possible? So this is what was going on in his mind. And then he went on a search. He just drove out to Alabama. He found this field uh, through a Baptist uh, pastor that said, you can stay here for as long as you want since you have all these questions. And for 40 days, he didn't eat anything. And he was thirsty, and he was crying out, trying to understand. He had a Bible with him, though. He kept reading it. And then he found himself out of his body, and he was taken up into the third heaven, and he saw Jesus. And Jesus spoke to him and, and told Akif, touch me. And the minute he touched him, he immediately received life, and he was back in his body. He came alive, and he, and he just started dancing, and he ran back to that church. He got a ride on the way there, actually. And then he shared his story at that Baptist church. And right in that church, this fire began to burn in his hands. The hand that he touched Jesus with, that hand began to burn with fire. And he prayed for somebody that instantly got healed right there. And he still... That wasn't just somebody. That was a deacon that was paralyzed in a wheelchair for 30 years. The fire was so strong in his hand that when he touched him, that man got up and started walking. Uh, could you imagine if that happened in the average church uh, that the people listening to us go to? Oh, absolutely, Sid. And, and this is what is happening. These miracles are happening in the lives of these Muslims when Jesus touches them. And it's absolutely amazing. And it will soften our hearts. What, what I believe 
is that when a Christian gets a hold of your brand new book, 10 Amazing Muslims Touched by God, that the first thing they should do is read it themselves, and their faith is going to be stretched to normal. Uh, And then the special two CDs we have called East Meets West, because you see, here in the West, uh, we're taught seeing is believing. And and in the East, uh, even before you know Jesus, you're taught believing is seeing. You understand the invisible world. Um, And so I believe that as they hear these revelations these former Muslims have received, that they're going to have that same glory on them that is going on these Muslims. Why? Because God is in a hurry. He's coming back soon. So I urge you, absolutely urge you to get this book. It's literally, it's not even the stores yet, just off the press, 10 Amazing Muslims Touched by God, and then the two CDs, East Meets West, available for a gift of $40. Uh, Fassel, I have to tell you, I have never read a book that has so charged me up for more fire and more reality of God as your new book. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, 1-800-447-2697. I have one of the people in the book uh, that I'm speaking to, uh, Kalita Wukowitz. And Kalita, I have to tell you, when I read your story, I could not believe a human could go through as much suffering from a young age as you did and come out landing on your feet, happily married to, today, a believer in Jesus, you should have been dead many times over. That's a true. That is so true. What do you say? This is true. But what most is true is our Lord is, is real, our Yeshua, and his power is alive and well today. And he could come to people and, um, and touch them and change them and make them a new creature. And that's what happened with my story. Uh, Kalita, I want to take you back. You were born in Bethlehem. Uh, and when you were 11 days old, your mom died. Uh, they brought you into a Jewish orphanage. So although you're Arab, you're being raised as a Jew. You lived as a Jew. But when you were nine, the devil tried to get rid of you, uh, and uh, you went out with another girl to get some water, and a bomb hit the orphanage that you were put into, uh, and everyone died except uh, the the two of you that went out to the well, uh, and then it gets worse. I mean, not only are you an orphan, and now almost orphaned again, the orphanage is destroyed, but then they sell you to Bedouins, and you become their servant, uh, uh, and, and you learn about Islam, and you fall in love with uh, Islam. But uh, they didn't treat you too well, did they? No, no. It was really a hardship um, on me to, uh, to be in the orphanage and also to be a slave. You know, no one wants to be slave. Um, but the the Lord was good, and He rescued me out of uh, you know out of that. Yeah, you know, what I found interesting is the only food they gave you was uh, leftovers, and you were raised to hate the Jew, 
to hate Israel. Uh, but th- this is amazing. I mean, God had his hand on you. You should have died when the bomb went off in the orphanage. Uh, you should have died from the treatment that you had at the hands of the Bedouins. I mean, you're just nine years old now, uh, and you uh, uh, were only fed leftovers. You're living in the desert. You don't have much to drink or much to eat. Uh, you're literally uh, dying uh, starving from, f- you don't have enough food, you don't have enough water, living in the desert, but you had what happens to lots of Muslims, a dream. Tell me about it. Yes. I had a dream, and in the physical, I would be absolutely so hungry, and I have no more strength to walk one more stra- step. I was without a shoes, with tore up the clothes, and I would lay with the camels, with the animals, because I took care of my camel, and um, I would lay there, and I would have this uh, so vivid, really dreams of a, a huge table set before me, and a, a, a beautiful man, uh, I couldn't tell his face at that table, and he would invite me to that table, and he would tell me to eat and to drink, and uh, every kind of food you could imagine is there, uh, ice Water is there, and that is a treasure in the desert to have ice water. There is no such thing in reality. And, uh, you know, fresh water. And I, in the dream, will come to that table, and I will eat. And when I got up from the dream, it was uh, like it was real. It was something actually happened to me. My stomach will be full with food. My spirit will be satisfied, and I will have the strength to get up and walk again in the hot desert and uh, travel with my people. So that was the grace of God on me. That was my Lord and Savior doing this. And you didn't even know him. You, you, I mean, you're, you're a practicing Muslim. Uh, and then uh, soldiers came. Uh, and and uh, took all the Bedouin children and put them into an orphanage. So now you're in an orphanage again. But this was in Jordan. Uh, and uh, King Hussein had something to do with that. Explain that. Um, we found out, you know, we found out that the orphanage actually um, run by a sister or a relative of King Hussein. And what they what they did is uh, they found Palestinian children who are orphaned and they host them in that orphanage. So um, he showed up in person and, and came to check on us and uh, made sure that we, we were all right. And that was really um, wonderful. You know, they, uh, he- yeah, but then, but then they found your natural father, so they right. rip you out of this wonderful situation, and your father takes you in. But right. he wouldn't act like a father. He treated you like a slave. Right. Uh, the circumstances around it that he had three wives, and his first wife already had a dozen of children for him, and um, he denied that he was my father because it was going to destroy his marriage. It was going to destroy his relationship with his first wife, and it uh, became a hardship. So he denied it. Uh, however, the Jordanian uh, police, the uh, government, 
uh, threatening him. They said to him, we don't care if she's your birth daughter or not. You must take her in and you must accept her as your child or we're just going to jail you. You don't have a choice. So he had to take me in, but I was very mistreated. I was very mistreated because I mean, he wasn't accepted. You were horribly abused. But, I mean, you were going from tragedy to tragedy. So at 15, he marries you off. Uh, and and it, it was a horrible situation. Uh, and uh, the, the man that uh, married you, uh, after you had a child with him, uh, shipped you back home and said, I don't want her as my wife anymore. So now your father, who treated you as a slave, hates you even more. And then he finds another man that's uh, willing to marry you, uh, that, uh, and he forces another marriage on you. So, uh, so you relocate uh, from Libya, that's where he was, to Connecticut. Uh, you have three children with that marriage. Uh, but he began to beat you also. I mean, he beat you so hard, he broke your jaw. Yeah. Both of my husbands, the first and the second husband, were Muslim imams. Um, they were leaders in the community, but no one really knew how bad I was treated as a wife, um, as a Muslim wife. And, uh, he, was, he, he was going to kill you, and you hear a voice, and the voice tells you to leave the darkness uh, why did you obey that voice? Uh, you know, when I heard the, uh, the voice, I thought maybe I'm going crazy, but with that voice came peace. It came a strength that I never had before. So uh, I thought, uh, you know, I lost everything I could lose. It's not going to get worse than what it is right now. Um, it's not going to hurt to follow that voice, uh, to give it a try. So, so you leave. I, I assume you didn't have any money. You leave with your, what, three children? What do you do? Um, I just uh, basically roamed the street because um, I didn't speak English back in 1997. My children were too young. They haven't started the school yet. I have two six-years-old and one two-year-old, and um, I didn't know how to communicate. So, so you were homeless, but a, but a Christian woman observes you, takes you in, gives you a job, shares Jesus with you, but... You you were too strong a Muslim, even with everything that had gone on. One and a half years go by, but you wanted to know the truth. What happened? Uh, uh, what I saw is that woman was filled with joy, with peace, with love. Even her life was uh, not so fancy, uh, but uh, she had peace. And I um, got to a place where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, and being chased by the enemy, I, I wanted what she had. I wanted the peace of Christ. Even in, in, in my mind, I couldn't believe that God have a son, because they taught us in Islam to not even think that God have a son. It's forbidden. The thought is forbidden. But um, I, I feel like if, even if I have to lose it all, I have to find out the truth. I want what that woman has. I must have it. Uh, so I went after it. I, I prayed and I asked Jesus on a personal level. I said, if, if you really, uh, they say who you are, because I wasn't really sure I'm a praying to a God uh, then. Uh, I, I wasn't sure about it, but I knew in my heart that I need to do it. I said, if, if you really, um, they say who you are, the Son of God, or if you are real, uh, would you show me? Would you show me that you are real? And, um, wow, you know, our, our amazing God just uh, shows up. He shows up.
What, what do you mean he showed up? What happened? What happened is I was in, um, uh, that woman gave me a job, and I was in the back of the store, and um, as I walked into the, the back of that store in the room, uh, the room itself changed and was filled with light. And um, as I looked into that light, I couldn't even, um, you know, look at it. It's like looking at the sun at 12 noon. You cannot really uh, see it. You cannot put your eye in it. But that light was overwhelming light, and a voice started talking to me, and I saw a person coming toward me. Whoop, we're out of time. We'll pick up right here on tomorrow's broadcast. I have a former Muslim on the telephone. Her name is Khalida Wukowitz. Uh, and uh, believe it or not, she was taught as a Muslim to hate the Jew. And Khalida, you are married to a Jewish man today. <laughs> I know. Isn't that miracle? That's a miracle by itself right there. Uh, I married a Palestinian who is married to a Jew who is in love with Yeshua and in love with the Jewish people. Well, for those that didn't hear yesterday's uh, broadcast, uh, Kalita uh, had such a miserable life. She should have never survived. She was born in Bethlehem, a Palestinian uh, Arab, uh, 11 days old. Her mother dies. She ends up in a Jewish orphanage. She lived as a Jew. When she's nine, uh, the orphanage is bombed. She just happened to step outside for some water. Uh, only two girls survive. Everyone else is killed. She's sold to Bedouins, lives as a slave, sold from Bedouin to Bedouin, uh, and go ends up in another orphanage, uh, and her, they find her father who's still alive. He doesn't want her. He denies her. So he marries her off at 15. She's physically abused. Another forced marriage, uh, and she's physically abused. The guy wanted to kill her. She hears a voice to leave the darkness. She's homeless with her three children, doesn't even speak English. Uh, she was in the United States at the time. Uh, a Christian takes her in, loves her, witnesses to her. You know, if that Christian hadn't taken you in, Kalita, I don't see how you would have survived in that circumstance. I agree with you. Um, and a matter of fact, as we're speaking on the phone right now, I am sitting in the kitchen of that woman's house, and uh, I call her mother because she has been nothing but a blessing to me and a mother in the faith. She's absolutely amazing. And God... Uh, supernaturally brought us together. Our relationship is so strong and one core for Yeshua. And uh, I just love her. I will, I will live the rest of my life thanking God for her uh, uh, boldness, stepping in and believing God for me. She believed God for a broken, hurting Muslim girl. And that what changed my life. That is, uh, that is the power of love. Okay, so so you're 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 in the kitchen. It's a year and a half later, and she, you see this love, but you still are so in love with Islam, uh, and you say, "God, I want to know the truth. Show me." And God shows up. Light came into that room, uh, and then you were taken to heaven. Explain. Um, in in that experience. Um, I found myself standing before the throne of God. Um, the, the Bible says that G 
Jesus is the Word of God. And as you look on Jesus' face, as I was looking on Jesus' face and having become a real, every tribe, every tongue, every language is spoken there. Worship is in heaven. Uh, Jesus is King sitting on the throne, and he is an authority and power. Uh, I just knew. I just knew that is my Savior. I didn't need anyone to explain it to me. It was self-explained. It just made sense, and it, it, it came to my spirit, that light, he is the light in the world, that light consumed me with power, and it, it's like I read all the books, and I went to all the school, and I learned all the things I need to learn about Messiah. He really became real to me. It's no longer that man that people told me about. Uh, it, it became like Hagar had her experience uh, of saying, I see the God who sees me. I see the God who sees me. He saw me all of those years of struggle and, and, uh, and hurt and pain and agony, and he came to rescue me. My king came to rescue his slave girl, and uh, it just made sense. Heaven is so real. Heaven is more real than earth. And people need to know that. They need to know that our God is a supernatural God, and his power is manifested every single day as we open ourselves in the spirit realm. He will make himself real. So when I reached for that, that, uh, that, that supernatural power, God did not hold it back from me. He poured it out on me, and it changed my life for now, now i i know you're going to share more details of what you saw in heaven absolutely phenomenal on our special cd called east meets west but tell me one thing you observed in heaven that we would be interested in right now um i think the most uh, thing that stood out for me in heaven it was worship um heaven adores yeshua heaven adores jesus the angels worship Jesus. The being worship Jesus. They throw crown at his feet. Um, they love him. They adore him. It, it, everything in heaven moves, it breathes, and uh, speaks, and does worship and adore uh, Jesus. And that really never left me from day one. When I saw that, I was consumed with the power of worship and uh, and the spirit. The spirit of God there is so strong. Revelation is so strong. There is no way that you could make it to heaven and get out confused or lost or not knowing who Yeshua is. Um, the job of the Holy Spirit is to reveal him and make him real. Now, now when, you, when you had to, when you were forced to leave heaven, Jesus said something to you. What did he say? Um, he did tell me he would never leave me. He would never forsake me. He said he is going back to get me back. He is coming the second time. Now, Kalita, yes. you had a vision of hell. Yes. Tell me what you saw. Um, in, in hell, what, what um, I saw is that the Lord came to me, Jesus uh, came to me, and woke me up in my sleep and took me in this vision. And uh, when he came in the beginning to me, I didn't want to go because I knew in my spirit that the Lord doesn't take us to hell. But he wanted to show me something um, in there, and I trusted him, and I knew I could go with him anywhere. It doesn't matter where he asked me to go. I will go with him. 
So I want in the spirit, I, I, I want what the Lord, and um, I saw the bit of hell. And what stood out to me is uh, how miserable those people are. They were gnashing their teeth. They were like melting and, then, uh, and suffering, but they were coming right back for more agony, for more pain. Uh, and no one, they were screaming and yelling, and no one could save them. No one could get them out of that. Now, now the Lord was with you. What was going on with him when you saw all that suffering and torment? Uh, the, the Lord's face was very sad. The Lord was crying. The Lord had, had sobbing tears coming down his face and, and just uh, really broken over those people. And uh, very, very uh, great sadness was on him. And um, his heart was broken. He did not want, what I sense is, he did not want those people to be there. He did not want them to be there. And uh, uh, then I saw across the way from us a woman who is wrapped in a honorary clothes, is, uh, 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 you know, uh, and she's kneeling and she's worshiping, and she also is crying and interceding uh, with God's heart, with God's sadness. And uh, well, when I asked the Lord, who is that person, is, uh, he said that uh, that is Hagar, and that she has been interceding. Uh, for Muslim, uh, you know, from the beginning of time. And so, so the people that you, the division of hell you saw, there were a lot of Muslims there. Right. That's what it stood out to me. It was like no one else there, like no other nation was there. But that doesn't mean that no other nation going to go to hell. That was actually a fine for my personal uh, uh, you know, call and, and Hagar was really symbolic uh, of interceding. She was interceding for the Muslim people. It, it was a symbolic thing of your call. What is your call? What did he show you? What he showed me is as uh, I fast and as I believe and as I seek him and pray and uh, over the Muslim life in a supernatural way in worship, is speaking in tongue in power over them, he will come and make himself real and those people will be saved. Any Muslim that you will pray for with all of your heart, with all of your might, with all of your spirit, believe in God's love for that person, it will come to pass. He promised me that they will be saved and they will be taken out of the hell of fire. And, and God has shown you that there is a coming together of Jews and Muslims in Jesus. It's a perfect representative of what Paul refers to as the one new man. Tell me about that briefly. Uh, that is uh, an awesome vision on God's heart. That's God's heartbeat for today, as we come in unity and, and realize, as a former Muslim, I'm realizing the honor and the love that God has for the Jewish people. And uh, he first came to the Jewish, and he really wants us, Jewish and Gentile, to become one in him. The Whoops, we're out of time. But Mishpocha, I want you to get this brand new book, Ten Amazing Muslims Touched by God. Read it yourself. You will never be the same. It'll totally shake you, your very core. That's what you need right now. Jesus is coming back soon. And then the two CDs, East Meets West, the secrets that Kalita and these other former Muslims have learned about the invisible world. It's literally the anointing is going to jump on you. We're making the two CDs and the book available for a gift of $40. 
To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpucha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime, 1-800-447-2697. For all other calls, the number is 704-943-6500. That's 704-943-6500. For a CD of this week's broadcast, send a donation to Sid Roth. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.